We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Hey guys, before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, which is Circle Rock. Circle Rock is a men's clothing brand that sells all sorts of things from blazers to dress shirts to vests, winter jackets, all that sort of deal. So if you're looking to purchase uh, some sort of menswear for someone in your life for a holiday gift, uh, Circle Rock is a good place to go. You can seek out Circle Rock online at circlerock.com. They are also... um, based locally in Minneapolis and Southwest Minneapolis at Circle Rock's House of Style. If you are wanting to purchase from them, you can use the code ZONE25 today and receive a $25 gift card, good for your next Circle Rock purchase. Again, that's the code ZONE25 for $25 off. Now let's get to the show. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast on Thursday, January 23rd. We are brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Our presenting sponsor for this week is again Circle Rock Menswear. This is our first podcast this week because I gave myself off for Martin Luther King Day. Um, but you could still normally expect these shows to be every Monday and every Thursday. For this week, I'm just getting back from Chicago last night covering that lovely seventh straight loss to the Chicago Bulls. Today, we're going to kind of do a mid-season sort of roster review, at least of the starters. We'll see how much time we get. Just kind of, we're around 41 games in the season, so kind of put a flag in where we've been at so far. But last night's game, I think we should start with first. Um, The Wolves, like I said, lost their seventh straight game. That wasn't interesting, but the post-game commentary from Brian Saunders was. So to get into that, it's not Charlie Johnson with me here this Thursday. It is Kyle Tige who writes for CanisHoopus.com. Kyle is in town from Portland to cover the Wolves home, home, back to back this weekend with uh, Houston, Houston's Friday, right? Yep. And then the Thunder yep. on, on Saturday. 
if you guys don't know who Kyle is, you're just at Kyle Tige on Twitter, yep. right? I yep. should probably ask that. Um, <laughs> tell them a little bit about yourself, what you're doing here, Timberwolves, fanhood, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know? thanks for having me back. Yes, sir. Uh, I think I came back last year around this time, right around the trade deadline. Just Yeah, we talk. did a trade deadline podcast, um, right? But yeah, I just uh, I'm out in Portland. I'm from North Dakota originally, so I've been a Wolves fan forever, and I write for Canis. And there's no better time than than this weekend to come back and watch some great basketball. So, uh, like you said, Harden, so, Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like they're good product on the court, but then also too, I timed it just right. Seven game losing streak. Um, <laughs> maybe get to nine. So, but I think I think as we talked about before this, there's a lot of despite the record and the losing streak, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about right now. Um, so I think it was perfect timing to come on here. So yeah, I mean we are um, uniquely familiar with turning dirt into yeah. like oh. something. With, yeah. But it's so you and I we both started covering the team. What, how, what was that? Like four, four years, years ago? ago. Yeah. Um. So we've had Tibbs and this. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So I mean, it feels like <laughs> a vacation from what the what we jumped into. You know what <laughs> That's I mean? True. But um. But yeah, it's been challenging. But again, I think I think there's a way to positively spin it. I'm if if you follow me on Twitter, if you read the things I write, I mean, I'm definitely uh, guilty of drinking the blue and green Kool Aid. But um, <laughs> but I think there's reasons to be optimistic, and I think we'll get into that today. At so. least, I mean, and I, I think covering an NBA team, there's always um, there's always an interesting angle. Most yeah. teams have at least one good player. Yep, the Timberwolves kind of have one of those. Yep. And and then that's what that's what it's all about, right? It's about it's about thinking, even if you're bad, how do you get to be good? Right. And that's that's what's make for me, that's what makes doing a podcast and writing and covering the team interesting. Right. Well, because we were saying too, like I though there will be a day, this is the Kool-Aid talking, but there will be a day <laughs> where they are good and it'll be fun to have seen that growth. Um we were talking about this before, but I mean, like you can be as close to a follower of the Timberwolves living in Minneapolis or Portland as you could be to the Shanghai Sharks. Sure. You know what I mean? With Twitter and social media and all these things. So um, Lance Stevenson play for them or something? I think Lance is trying to make a comeback, actually, in the oh. league. But uh, oh. but no, so Speaking I think... Speaking of Thibodeau players. Yeah. Oh, God, don't <laughs> even get me started. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about last night. Uh, obviously, the, the story became, um, if anyone missed it, was... The story was Andrew Wiggins. He... I, I mean, would you? I thought it was his worst half of the season. That first half, he had three points, no rebounds, was over two from the free throw line, and looked to be asleep. And it was the, it was the most disinter- disinterested, floating. You know, the all those old Wiggins labels, um, you know, that we've attached to Andrew for the past five years now. You're like, oh, it's back. Then he comes out in the second half, and it was, it looked exactly like. It did in the beginning of November. You know, they're they're spreading up top. They're running that high screen and roll with Cat. He's attacking the rim, and he scores 22 points in the second half, five rebounds and six assists. And you're like, ah, oh, this this does work when he works. Um, we came to, you know, Chris uh, Hine and I were there covering the game from Chris from the Star Tribune, and to, to find out that Andrew, or that Ryan Saunders had quite the uh, fiery halftime explosion directed at the team, but uh, also specifically Andrew Wiggins. Dude, what was your, I guess, initial take from that when you when you heard that? Well, in terms of, and yeah, like you said, in terms of the game, the, yeah, the, go first, the, game the first, first 24 minutes, the second 24 minutes, it was the textbook put in the Louvre Andrew Wiggins game because yeah. it was the first, 40, first 24 minutes just ice skating, just like mm-hmm. casual jog up and down, getting a workout <laughs> in. 
uh, I, I think I tweeted something about at halftime about like Ryan Saunders ripping the bandaid off. Cause I was like, if this is what you're going to get, you just have to like mm-hmm. send some sort of a message. So I, I, I thought like benching him, right. um, he chose to what you and Chris reported, like having a verbal, like, okay, I'm in, I'm in charge. I think you wrote this too. Like he was the one that talked at halftime. There wasn't a lot right. of like team, like what are we doing wrong? It was like, I'm taking control, which is cool because People sometimes question whether or not Ryan is really the guy, the guy that's in control, yeah. you know, or if he's kind sure. of the figurehead. Um, and yeah, and then Wiggins comes out in the second half, and everyone's like, "Why is he even coming in?" And then he just—it was—it was a mental lobotomy. It was just like, mm-hmm. "I am going to the rim. I'm trying to dunk on people. Mm-hmm. I'm my cuts are crisp. I'm taking good shots." And it was just like—I mean, literally, it, it had been like t- pretty much two months since we'd seen that. Yeah, yeah. Because, and, but, it I was, mean, there'd been like I, obviously he had like the triple double where he, like, grabbed his 10th rebound uh, just as, like, the Raptors had a 20-point lead, you know. I mean, I, I still got emotional watching that. That was big for us Wiggins <laughs> fans. But uh, but still, I mean, yeah, it wasn't as meaningful. Cool. But it was just, um, just a, it it was like, okay, he sucks so hard in the first half to see him come out in the second right. half and be good. You're, like, relieved, but then you're also, like, where the hell was this in the first half? Like, why couldn't he? Like, what? how could you have... There's there's no one that I can think of off the top of my head, and I was even looking at this today, like that makes what he makes that would have a first half like he would have. Even when Harden goes like two for eighteen, mm-hmm. like he gets you like seven boards and eight assists. Like he just makes a contribution. Right. I mean, Wiggins literally had zero contribution. Right. He did nothing in the first half. It was it was interesting um, to to be there and to see Ryan, you know, come out you know, to to talk to the media afterwards because. I mean, anybody who's kind of listens to his press conferences, Ryan is one to not dismiss the things that went poorly, but to, you know, to acknowledge the positives. And I think that the first thing he comes out and says is we're not a very good basketball team right now. And and then, you know, after I after I asked about, you know, Andrew, he was he was critical of Andrew and then complimentary, which was kind of like which is a reverse, which is a reverse, right? And I don't know, maybe that's like a convenient narrative for him because Andrew did, you know, ball out in the second half. And maybe that makes Ryan in a weird sort of way look good because what we learned after that, you know, the kind of order of operations is you talk to the coach and then you go into the locker room to talk to the players. And, and you know, Cubs, the Robert Covington is the first guy we talked to. And and Cub was like, yeah, I'd never, ever seen Ryan like that. That's the first time. Uh, like, like, And he's saying it in a way like, I didn't even think that like existed in him. So what I, I mean, I wasn't there, but taking his word for it, you know, you start painting this picture, and and then what Covington goes on to say is specifically, he's like, he specifically says Ryan called out Wiggs, expecting him, you know, to get more, and you know, Covington again probably shares that because Andrew does proceed, you know, to go on and play well, but not while this is all kind of happening to me in real time. I'm like, okay, so Ryan Saunders lost his mind in the locker room. Andrew Wiggins accepted that and was like, thumbs up, coach. This is good. I'm like, for real? And then we go over to Wiggins, and he was like, right away, he's like, yeah, I needed that. And I'm like, what? And, and, and well, Wiggins talks very, very quietly. And I'm like, did I even, you know, did I hear that right? And and he's like, yeah, Ryan, Ryan yelled at me. And, and it was just like, it was a weird locker room experience. I think given... Like I said, the, the the order of operations and the fact that like it was like a bad thing that happened, the coach freaking out on a player, but but you can also kind of reverse engineer it to be like, 
kind of good. Look it, like it worked. And I, we're in a vulnerable spot right now because we basically have a not, not that he played all twenty four minutes, but we have twenty four minute sample size of like new Wiggins version thirteen point one. You know what I mean? Like Wiggins <laughs> since he was yelled at by Ryan in front of the team. So we've only seen it for a half. So this is a pod we're doing on Thursday, but like I'm extremely intrigued to watch him come out tomorrow night. Like, does he come out tonight, tomorrow night what against the Rockets? Yeah, I, I and if he comes out tomorrow night and he goes back to first half Chicago Bulls Wiggins, then everything is just meaningless. Like all this, you know what I mean? Like it didn't click. But but don't you think what everyone's expecting is just something in between? Yeah, yeah. I just which that I mean that's the that's the inherent like oh of right. Andrew is. The reality is he just lives somewhere in between and or switches from one to the other, and we never really know. Right. I mean, and then there was a Chris Hines tweet. It was short and sweet, but I think he just said, Wiggins said it, I needed that when asked about mm-hmm. the the Ryan blowup. And, I mean, the optimist in me is like, good, okay, maybe he's finally getting through it. But then on as we just talked about before we got on here, it's like you you needed to have a fire lit under you in your sixth season against a team that's also young and struggling, like – and you're on a six-game losing streak? Like, what What was what? the mentality of coming into that, being like, oh, I can just coast? Like, what are you talking about? Like, we Max you, contract, obviously. You know, like, yeah, it just... It, the expectation, you know, from 10,000 feet should be that your player doesn't need that. Right. And he said... Not only is he saying he needed it, but he's saying it. He's right. like... I mean, there's just so many other Max players, quote-unquote, stars... Like they, they would minimize that, right? Yeah, very isn't true. Isn't that isn't very that like true. different to be like? It, it's just, it's just again, what example, thirteen thousand of Andrew just doing things his own sort of way. Well, and I think you and Britta touched on this before, but I think overall Wiggins and you would know this way more than I have. I'm just watching on TV and reading tweets, but like <laughs> Wiggins has been pretty good in interviews lately. Like I think yeah. he's been a little more like honest, and there's less. You know, there's less ums and just mm-hmm. deflecting and like so that was maybe that was. But a you good know what, Kyle? That's gone away. It's like like that, that sort of stuff like has directly correlated with his play. Like beginning of the year, he would be like he'd be sitting there at his locker room, and you know, as you and I are looking at each other now, he's like, I'm moving my hands on this podcast right now. But that's the way he would be like interacting with us. And now this past like month, six weeks, whatever, he's just. His behavior in those settings, what reverted to exactly what it was last year, which is just very short, quiet. Are we done yet? Right. So, I don't know. That that's what he, that's what he, I kept coming back to. You know, when I'm thinking about this last night, after it all kind of transpires, is I'm like I, I've written two different and versions of Andrew Wiggins stories or talked about it, where Andrew Wiggins the player, like the play style, has changed, and Andrew Wiggins the person has changed. I think what we know, like, even when it isn't working, when it hasn't worked, the play style has pretty much always been the change, right? Like, the shot selection, the shot selection is different every single game. He's clearly shooting threes or trying to penetrate to the rim. That happens in good or bad. What I'm now starting to question is, has Andrew Wiggins, the person, changed? What I'm talking about, like, when I say that, like, his mentality and, and you know, like, willingness to kind of show a grown-up or mature attitude to the profession, and I don't know, like outside of 24 minutes last night, January says, no, like this is Wiggins of last year, or Wiggins of two years ago. And so I don't know, not to like re- retract my statements, but 
I think the only thing we can fairly say about Andrew Wiggins right now is his play style has changed. Yeah, absolutely. Mentally, and, I don't know. And it'll be inter- and it was interesting too because like last night was, I mean, I, there was all the Tibbs stories, but you know, when I think of Andrew Wiggins in coaching, I always think of like the Sam Mitchell stories that come out where yeah. it's like Sam's always like, oh, you you kind of got to have kid gloves with Andrew and you know he's well not- Doogie let me tell you yeah 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 exactly <laughs> so he's more of a you kind of got to put your arm around him type thing and last night was the first night that in a non-Thibodeau regime that he was just straight up called out and yelled at sure. and he responded so the optimist in me I mean, that, but I, yes, that was a Sam thing where Sam's like he's not a guy that you go that you go ex- confront exactly go yeah, so sorry, I'm saying off. like that's where it's like everyone was kind of thinking like okay we have to really you know nurture this hundred million dollar kid because he he's not used to that and it sounds like ryan last night who is probably reading and seeing some of this stuff about you know like i mean this team just keeps losing and like is he the right guy and i think he it's that was my biggest takeaway last night is not even wiggins or Catering was that ryan just went on ryan like i ryan's not really a yeller he's not yeah. that's not really him and for him to just truly rip the band-aid off and kind of lose his mind and for people to be like not only has he never yelled at us before, but I didn't think that he was the type that could yell at us. That was the biggest thing. Like, if this team comes, I the Rockets game has very little meaning, I think, to your average yeah. fan because they're so far out of the playoffs. No, I, this is this is a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. It's like, it, is there an extension here, like, or is it if they come out tomorrow night yeah. in the thirtieth rank attendance, and I'll be there and have a couple drinks with me, so I'll be loud. But like, if they come in, and they we just, should say that you're. You're, co- I'm you're, not you're going to, to that game, game as a fan, yeah. and then on Saturday... That's a good, that's a good <laughs> asterisk. Um, but if they come out tomorrow night, and it's 34-16 at the yeah. end of one, and Westbrook has yeah, sure. 12, 8, and 7, <laughs> then everything we're talking about is not meaningless, but it's like, okay, they just didn't resonate. But sure. if they come out tomorrow night, and that's they're finally like, hey, for the first time in this new regime, we've seen Ryan get really pissed, that would be like... Forget the wins and losses. It's another bad loss and a yeah. bad season, but that would be like the moment you're like, okay, we can hang our hat on Wednesday night against the Bulls. They actually showed like some growth. This isn't the Bahamas stuff. Yeah. This is like actual Ryan is in charge. You know, it's not David Vanderpool. It's not sure. Christian Rowe. Like Ryan is running the show. This is his locker room, and we want to play for him. Let me play you the uh, the audio last night from Robert Covington. I think I think you'll be intrigued to hear his you and the, and the listeners, his, how he described Ryan in the locker room afterwards. So let's listen to that real quick. Cub Ryan said he was fairly upset at, at halftime. Was that maybe as, as emotional and animated as you might have seen him this Absolutely. year? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the first I've seen him act that way. Um, I've seen him, you know, certain cases that, you know, he get emotional, but that was probably the most, yeah, that was the most, I'm sorry, said that I've ever seen him. Okay. What kind of effect can that, can that have on you guys? I mean that second ha- that second half he was a, uh, he sparked that second half pretty much because the Cali came into the second half I mean in the locker room during that you know, halftime and you know he just put a fire on people's ass and you see we was able to respond very well we put ourselves in great position but you know we just didn't do it have enough to you know sustain different different people can respond different sort of ways to that is this a group that you know can can handle that does. Yeah, does, because does they, we shown we shown tonight, you know, um, Ryan got Ryan got on Wicks, you know, to start start the for the third quarter, um, challenged him, you know, about giving us a little bit more, um, and Ryan he responded, you know, he responded very well, and 
you know, we was building that confidence in him as well and kept putting him in positions to, you know, keep being successful and, you know, keep, you know, going. And, you know, our encouragement is what allowed him to, you know, keep it keep it going in that second half. And, you know, him and Kat, you know, kind of carried us. And, you know, but we just got to do a, a better job as a team of giving them a little bit extra as well. So I, I want to get into the doing it better as a team part at, at some point um, late, later on in the, the show. But... You, I maybe I feel like too too close to this. I, I am curious how fans take that. Like, does it? Do they think that that is soft on Cubs' part, Ryan's part, Wiggins's part, or is it like, or is this, you know, an, an encouraging thing? Because I, I could, I guess, I can see both parts of it. Because at the end of the day, it's naming uneven an uneven performance from Wiggins and to most fans that's maddening. Yeah, and like I said earlier, the the pessimist in you when Wiggins says I needed that is why the hell did you need that? You make millions of dollars a year and like you're playing against you're a bad team, you're trying to break a losing streak, you're playing against one of your friends in Zach Levine. Like well, how did you need mm-hmm. extra motivation to play a game in Chicago on Wednesday? But for me, that's why I think tomorrow night is Yeah. So if you're listening to this, get this listened to by Friday night. I think Friday is so important. I don't think it's make or break for this regime or for Ryan, but like if if what Ryan said was meaningful, and that was a great snippet from Robert Covington, like then they have to come out and remember that. They have to be like, dude, we can't do what we did Wednesday. We can't be lazy. We have to show real fire because we might not be in the playoff hunt, but like for all the stuff that Town says and for all the Rosa stuff, like we're building somewhere, we're building something. Like you build that on Friday. You don't build that this summer via the draft. Like you got to start building those routines and those mentalities now. Like we can't. The biggest critique and the, the reason I think sometimes fans don't always relate to this team is because for these this the Cat Wiggins regime, they've they've come into so many games and they've just thought, ah, oh, we're just gonna with talent, we're just gonna win. We're just you know what I mean like we're just two first overall picks, we're just gonna win. And it's like, as a Wolves fan of all these years, it's like, no, you're you're not gonna win. Like you're, you know what I mean, like you really need to apply yourself and and these things you say after the game, utilize them during the game. So so yeah, I think I think the the quote is good. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, like living out in Portland, I, I hear those quotes from Damian Lillard after games and stuff. But the difference between what Rocco said and what Lillard said is like you see Lillard yeah. lead his team act the next it, night right? and act on it, or you read, you know, the guys that cover the team and they talked about it at practice. They they brought it up again in the morning in film session, so it wasn't just Wednesday night in Chicago and then they boarded a plane and it was all good. Like today in film session, did they really talk about that? Did they say we can't do this anymore? We can't be flat. Like Wiggins, you got to have the motor on before the game, not at halftime or not in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. So so it'll be interesting. That's a that's an interesting point. I think the Dame connected to Cat, right? Like, Cat, you know, he uses his platitudes and 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 speaks in this sort of, in that sort of way. And and on at least I was gonna say half or one side of the ball, he backs it up, right? About you know needing to be better, needing to be great, and he is great. But with him, is, does that just strike people as more hollow because? They see the other side of the floor, and he's just getting baked defensively. Like, I don't know. I, I've always drawn the Dame Cat comparison, right? Yeah, because I, Dame came in as a bad defender. Too. And I, I think you and I have talked about this a lot, but I don't know if it's necessarily been like a public conversation. I mean, it's a it's a short point guard and a really big center. But <laughs> I think the 
comparison between the two is really similar yeah. in terms of just like truly two of the best offensive players at their position that I can remember. Sure. But with Lillard, he just when you, like I said, and you said you made it more simpler than I would make it. He just when he says it, he then acts on it. Yeah. So for the things that Towns talks about, and I must said I'm a huge Towns fan, but when you listen to some of his quotes, and again, I don't know what it would be like to be a multimillionaire, 24 year old sure. face of the franchise. No, but no, there is definitely some Kyrie Irving BS that just flows through these quotes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I know, and sometimes, you know, people have mics in your face and like, we need a quote, we need you to say something. And you kind of just, whatever, like, I feel that way sometimes in a podcast. But but he, I don't know if that's what it is. I think, I, I don't think it's us saying we need a quote. It's he's trying to control the narrative with the quote that he thinks is good. Does yeah, that make sense. I know what you mean. Like, but but I also think that that then goes back to this whole whole other tangent that we don't want to get into, but about attendance and relatability to the players. But like, I don't always want. Carl Anthony Towns has gone through so many other experiences that I've never had. But not every person wants their twenty four year old Carl Anthony Towns, twenty six year old Kyrie Irving, to tell them how much smarter they am than us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. there was this quote last night, and not to get into the weeds a little bit, but how Towns is talking about how hard it is to win in the NBA. And this isn't this isn't LA fitness. This isn't lifetime, lifetime fitness. fitness. You know what I mean? And with all due respect to him who grinds every day and has been in it, I actually on my resume have more experience knowing how hard it is for the Wolves to win than you do <laughs> because I've watched them for 20 plus years not win. So I know it's not hard to win, but it was almost like a demeaning thing. Know that to, it is hard to win. Yeah, that it is hard yeah, to win, yeah. but it's like I it's almost a demeaning thing to be like you yeah. don't know how hard it is to win. It's like, no, we do. We do. But we know that you have to do it in other ways. Sometimes you got to take a charge. You got to mm-hmm. lift up your teammates. It's not just all about the one thing you're good at. Yeah, I don't think he gets that. I mean, just at the end of the day, I, I, he, he, does, I, he doesn't seem to understand that that does him more harm than good. And, it, you know, it's what's, what's I think is really interesting for me, I can say for me, from my perspective, is... When you're in the locker room every day, you have a lot of conversations, you know, with these guys or just like in passing, some at least, that don't have the microphones on. And it's just, you know, those conversations me and the other media people are there have with Carl are different. It's, I mean, he's he's his funky dude and he's, he's his own sort of person, but it isn't as manufactured as as a lifetime fitness quote is yeah, or, or I mean a list of other ones. I mean, he said he called the team pioneers of excellence at one point this year, or I mean, it's like, but I mean, and I I, people I, laugh and scoff at it, but like at some point, if we're like, like paring down to the issue at hand, specifically as it pertains to quotes, he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand that that behavior is not helping. Now, I don't know. I'm not asking him to be, like, rude and, like, come out and be snappy or whatever it is. I mean, I think at the end of the day, right, I mean, what do we want when we're talking to these people? Like, authenticity. What do you feel? Like, I'm sure sometimes you do think it's actually easy to win, and you're just frustrated that you're not, and it doesn't make sense. Like, I think that is is what, what holds it back. I want to go back to Damian Lillard really quick because – I thought it was so cool once they beat the the Nuggets to go to the Western Conference Finals last year. He's he's up on his uh, the podium 
speaking. And I remember seeing this, going back to watch this clip, because he talks about David Vanterpool. And Lillard, Lillard names it. He was like, yo, I, I came in the league and I was bad defensively. I didn't know. I, and it wasn't because I was like a bad athlete or a bad basketball player. I was struggling with the coverages and like having the intuition to be like moving a step ahead of, of what the other team was doing, specifically on defense. And isn't that exactly what's going on with Carl Anthony Towns? Or, or has gone on early on in his career is it Carl? He Carl is not a, a elite athlete in the springy athleticism sort of way, and he's not a monstrous body like Joel Embiid. But Carl is good at basketball, and he's he has the skill set to be a good defender. He just the team just moves the game just moves ahead of him sometimes, and it's because it hasn't totally registered in his brain how to be a step ahead of the opponent. And I just think that that parallel is totally there with Damian Lillard. The difference just is Dame has named that, and Kat is talking about lifetime fitness. Right. And 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 again, I, I stand for Carl Anthony Towns. I yeah, am a huge well, fan. And there's a five-year age difference between a 29-year-old Damian Lillard and a 24-year-old Carl Anthony Towns. Absolutely. So without... Getting into the specifics, I mean, some of those quotes that Lillard was making were when he was maturing, kind of going through what Towns is going through. Um, and that's why, if we just flip it back a couple more days, I think it was the Monday game against the Nuggets. I think you were there and Chris Hines was there too. And uh, that's when Towns had some of those, like, was he was pretty good post game. Like, he was yeah. talking about just like, that was his first game back, I believe. His first game back in Minnesota. So we were all there. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, or maybe, and I don't know what game it was, but that's when he was like talking about how good the defense looked when he was gone. Oh, and yeah, I think yeah. he referred to himself kind of as like the asshole for <laughs> right, right. for not being. Um, yeah. So so I was like, oh man, this is like refreshing. Like he maybe he's starting to get it. And then I watched. Uh, but him he give said up, it made watched, me look like an asshole. It doesn't. Right. Not admitting. And then I watched him give up like a career high to Felicio and Luke <laughs> Cornett. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. like he was talking about how good they had played defense and how I need to kind of fit in the Kevin Love fit in, fit out thing. Like, I need to fit in a little bit and, you know, see what those guys yeah. were doing. And then he came in and then he was just a sip and he gave up 27 points to the two centers for the bull. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah. kind of like, and it's a process. And I know I can't imagine being 24 and having the face of the franchise and the world on your shoulders and the pressure. But yeah, I think going back to like the authenticity of it, it's just actions over words. And that's what I think Lillard has mastered is that he's neither, mm -hmm. none of these guys are Shakespearean, but Lillard will say it, and then you'll see it on the court. You'll see it with how he acts with his teammates, how he acts with an immature guy like Hassan Whiteside, which is a whole other tangent. Um, and I just don't – you don't see Towns do that yet. But I, I think it's there, and I think he's trying to work on it. But that's why, again, I think tomorrow night after what Ryan did last night in Chicago, it'll be uh, extremely yeah. interesting. You know, and I do think sometimes framing is important in some of this because a couple sentences, because I have the transcriptions here in front of me from last night, a couple sentences after he says a LA fitness platitude is him talking about needing to learn how to lead this team better and, and kind of, you know, it, admitting that too, like that is what it is in, in a, in his Carl Anthony town sort of way, that's him acknowledging that he is 24 and he, he doesn't have leadership down the way Damian Lillard does, who, like you said, is, is 29. So, and that's why you follow Dane and not me because that context matters. I'm just seeing, I'm just seeing those <laughs> quotes, um, and just hot taking all over them. But, but yeah. So I mean, that's really important. That's like the most important thing we've said here is that 
you see it maybe when the mics are not hot or when the cameras aren't on. Um, and there is progress there. You can see it starting to form in there, but just needing but to it, pull but that it, out of it. But it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's still, not where it needs it's to be. It's a work in progress. Yes, and then I think that's the, the, the safest way to put it. Um, anything else on, on, on the game last night? No, I think we touched on it. Let's like, let's, I just, we're not going to go through the whole roster and, and do grades or anything like that. But like I said, we're about halfway through this season and at least for the main guys, the, the starters, the, the cat Wiggins and Covington, I think we should like, you know, put a, put a flag in where we're at here at, you know, at the, at the halfway point of the year, what, you know, what, what the numbers say don't always match up with, you know, what we're, we're seeing on the floor. And I, I noticed that per- particularly with, with Kat on the, the offense and defense and, 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 and how that, that shows up. And, um, and just, he's, he's number one in offensive RPM and he's last uh, among centers, number one out of 59 centers in offensive RPM. And he's number 59 out of 59 in defensive RPM. And I don't think that's a fair story, right? Yeah. I don't think he's, the worst defensive center. I don't think he's maybe the best offense. You know I mean? Exactly. He's, right. Those. That's where. Yeah. That, that's what it, my yeah. opinion is, yeah, and yeah. I don't know. I mean, the the to, to highlight the positive. Let's do, let's do the numbers. So so Cat is averaging twenty six and a half points per game this year, which is up two from last year. His uh, he's still averaging eleven rebounds. Those are down a little bit, one and a half. But that kind of makes sense, right? He's playing up top a little bit more. Mostly it's offensive rebounds that are going down. If you're if you're playing 25 feet from the hoop, it's pretty hard to get offensive rebounds. So I get that. Like nothing's wrong there. And he's tacked on an extra assist per game. He's averaging 4.3 assists per game this year. That makes sense too. Cause he's kind of the, the quarterback of the offense. I think the real meaningful move is his, we know last season was a historical shooting year, right? His two point field goal percentage is up to 61% this season. That's five, that's five percentage points better than 56 last year. And now when he's doubled his three-point percentage, he's hitting him at an even higher rate. So to some extent, you're like, yeah, you kind of already were like the best offensive center last year. And those are just like definitively better offensive numbers. But what I'm grappling with is that, well, I mean, just call it what it is. Like the last 11 basketball games, Carlin St. Towns has played for the Timberwolves. They've lost 11. Like, you're not the best offensive center in the league if you've lost 11, 11 straight games. I just think that's an indictment right there. It doesn't mean he's still like not damn good. He's damn good. He had 40 last night. He had 40 points on 24 shot attempts, 16 to 24. But you know what else he was? He was the only starter who had a negative plus minus. Like at some point, those numbers, when you're like pouring them into the pitcher, they're spilling. It's like splashing out and not like, and and not having the impact that it should offensively, and then I think on the other side of the floor we go we go and now uh, yeah saw Zach or Zach Lowe put it into his Easter or his picking his All Star picks, and one of the reasons he cited for not picking Carl Anthony Towns is when when Cat's on the floor defensive rating one fifteen when uh, when he's off it's like one oh three that's a ridiculous disparity. And that's and so we can we can like point at cat, you stink. But you know what? It's it's also a ridiculous disparity. So there's something behind that. I don't feel like that's a totally fair representation of what Carl has been defensively this year either. He, he's not the he's not the 59th ranked center 
isn't that because because you know what happens actually a lot of the time and I'm I'm just as harsh I feel like as anybody on Carl's defense and I actually write about it and I show clips and I try and speak to what he does wrong but you know what he does right a lot of the time is he plays defense he 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 does often handle that drop coverage well he does often communicate we highlight the things he does wrong because when he does them wrong they're so wrong when he got beat back in transition by Luke Cornett and Zach Zach Levine hits Luke Cornett for an alley-oop dunk yeah that's bad that's terrible cat don't do that or don't scramble after some guy trying to block the shot so he can just drop it off and get a dunk to your guy in the half court. That, you can't do that. But that doesn't subtract from the notion that a lot of the times he's at least okay. And I just think the reality is it's somewhere in between for both of them. And that's where you got to watch the games, though, because it's kind of like the the 2020 house of highlights, um, you know, mentality. Because, like, if you, were, if you were on Twitter watching the game last night, but you were following along on Twitter, that clip of that Luke Cornett mm-hmm. kind of, get out and run dunk was viral. I mean, you know what I mean? Because yep. they were showing Towns as kind of lollygagging back. But if you actually watch the game, like you said, there were a lot of times where Towns was in the right position. So he's Or not- even if just in the aggregate yeah, this I mean, year, yeah. right? So again, going back to your thing, like he's not the worst center, but it's yeah. kind of one of those things where, he, you know, you get painted by a broad brush, but like with all the things Wiggins been painted about, like Towns has never really been a good defender. And then there was the Jimmy thing with being soft. And then he's just, I mean, you, at some point though, you got to kind of, break that mentality yourself like you know like when we when Gorgie stepped in and he was taking I mean and this is this is the analytics not the analytics but like Gorgie was taking charges all over the place and he was taking charges he was getting deflections and mm-hmm. it's like you just want to see Towns do that you know what I mean like you just want to see him take that first charge and just kind of make a leadership yeah how about how about one like cat defensive play that's like a role player play yeah yeah you know exactly. what I'm saying not, not a big block yeah right not a ripway steal like nope I actually just Shuffled my feet over here and I beat you to the spot. Yeah, like, like I, a, like I cut a, off, I cut off the drive and then that guy had to kick it out and Robert Covington uses yeah. just long octopus arms <laughs> and he wiped it and that and yeah. and Covington got the stat but Towns was the one who all scouts know mm-hmm. he made that play. Yeah, just seeing those things would be nice. I don't, I don't know what which part of this argument people disagree with more, like. If people think that Cat actually is the best offensive center, or that they think he actually is the best defensive center, but I, the, the what I'm referencing was offensive RPM, which is flawed, whatever. But I think it's kind of the best catch-all metric we have to just serve as a whatever, a, a marker. In in offensive RPM, get this, I have it this summer in my notes. Okay, so Cat's offensive RPM is plus four point eight eight, which is number one. Number two is Nikola Jokic, which is plus 2.13. That gap is 2.75, right? So if you go down from Jokic, 2.75, one, you get into the negatives. Right. <laughs> to, to center number 43, Taco Fall. The, there's no way that that Cat is that much better than Jokic offensively. The, the difference between Jokic and Cat offensively is not the difference between Jokic and Taco Fall or whatever. Right. Center number 43. Taco Fall hasn't played much, but right. that's just who it, who it happens to be. So that that's more, again, painting with broad strokes. So what I'm saying is it's not, Cat isn't, Cat isn't levels ahead of these, of Jokic and Bede, you know, offensively. I just don't, I don't think he is. He might be, he might be like close or, or maybe he even is a little bit better, but he isn't just like with a bullet 
the best center in the league offensively. I I don't think so. And he kind of has to be, even if he's just like a 25th percentile defensive center, as I'm kind of alluding to there. So there's there's a whole bunch of different layers to it. I just think the answer's baked into the minutia, right? Of it's something, it's something in between here. The impact he has offensively doesn't resonate in the win-loss total. And I think the defensive part is a little bit overrated as to why they have 28, 29 losses right now. Right. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think that's fair. And like you said, too, I don't think he has to. I mean, if when you're given those uh, offense and defensive rankings and him being first and last, he never has to be like Draymond Green, like oh, sure, yeah. all first team defense. Like if he ever flirts with an all defensive team, well, then we're talking about him as like a top three player in the league. You know what we're I mean? We're talking like, about like an MVP. Yeah, like we're talking about him. It's like him and like Giannis. Like he's yeah. not in that t- conversation, but. And like you said, we no, are. No, but he maybe would be. Yeah, right if, right. if he ever is with a bullet, the best offensive center, which I think happens by if he finds a way to ha- turn this production into meaningfully positive impact, all five players on the floor. If he can do that and he can get up into like a well above average defensive center, then yeah, that is. That puts you, that puts, that gets you MVP votes. You show up on that top five. which and, and again, so just visualizing what you just said. Like, if you have first place out of 59 offensively and 59th out of 59th defensively, like, if he would just go to, what, 25 defensively, yeah. and you can drop down to five offensively, just drop down a couple pegs. You don't you That's so drop huge. down below Jokic or yeah. Embiid, but you can just move up to average. We're starting to talk about MVP votes again. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. his offense is so good that if you can just get that – just up to average, just slightly above average, where you're helping your teammates out and making those those plays that you just mentioned. That's when it. That's when you throw him into that tier, that tier one, that yeah. holy trinity of guys. How how do you feel about how they've used him offensively this year? Obviously, you know we're we're kind of. It looks different, right? He's he's up. I always I I'll refer to it as like the quarterback of the offense. You know, kind of being able, taking the ball under center and seeing all the moving pieces in front of him at the top of the key. I think, like in ways, that's been good. What, what, what has been what has been your take on that? I think his basketball IQ is extremely underrated. I I think. I mean, I think like he you can have him quarterbacking at the top of the key and like making those passes and making those cuts and and finding his teammates. I think he's gotten as these losing streaks have gone on. He's gotten a little. Maybe I'm just thinking of the Bulls game way too much, but yeah. he got a little three point happy, a little just step back happy. Um, because he is still so talented in the post. Um, and See, I think that's where the question lies. And that's, uh, again, we don't have nine hours of a podcast, but it's a whole other tangent about maybe just sometimes being flexible with this mm-hmm. patented Rosa system that we've talked about. Like, with you. there are moments where, and Towns is godly gifted and he can shoot threes from anywhere. But if Luke Cornett is guarding you, I would like to see you murder him in the post. So, okay, let's talk about last night. Fourth quarter, right? They're rolling with that high pick and roll. Like, yeah. so, so Cat got in foul trouble, so he had to, like, sit out the whole third quarter. So he basically played the whole fourth quarter, which meant he comes in, he's in there with the, the McLaughlin group. I was saying, he's running an unbeatable pick and roll with Jordan McLaughlin. Yes. <laughs> but so, so what they're starting, how Chicago's defending that is Felicio's on him, and how they, they're playing, like, up to touch on, on Jordan McLaughlin and then trying to recover back to Cat. That's what... Uh, you know, a lot of teams who have an aggressive scheme, as you know, the Bulls do, and the Bulls are a top ten defense this year, despite not being a very good team. 
And and they absolutely him and McLaughlin were, were peppering him with that. It's like, all right, Jordan did a good job of like going a little bit wider. It's dragging Felicio over more, and then he, and then you just hit that pocket pass or just kind of over your shoulder. The cat cats up top there, square away, fire away at will when you got that clean look. Right, you're the man up there. D- do that. What ended up happening later, because they because they, then they're going at Napier comes in. They keep continue going at. It. They're they're still working it. Then once at the end of the game, they start running it with Wiggins. They take Felicio out and they put Markin in on Cat so that they can just straight switch it. And and then what I thought was good, then they start rolling Cat in the post. Because and he had two just bunnies. They, like and literally one, like, and ones. Yeah. Because who was on him? Kobe White. When yep. you get go back and look, go look at the end one. It's those are the times that they need to lean on more to get him in the post. Because that's he can particularly on a switch, he can eat there just as much. As anyone else can. And that's a little bit different than like the straight post-up numbers. Like, you know, if you if Gerson or Ryan were sitting here right now, they'd be like, well, I mean, just at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense to have an offense that's like 20 post-ups a game. Right. Which is true. But having an offense that takes advantage of your physically imposing seven-footer, sometimes on the inside, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense too. So I I personally think they've they've gotten away from it a little bit too much. And you know, maybe that's on his teammates. Maybe it's on his teammates to be like, all right, we got the switch. Andrew now has to have the speaking of basketball IQ, he's got to be like, all right, I got marketing on me. Cat's got like Chris Dunn or Kobe White on him. I need to think here and be like, better option is Cat. But Wiggins that doesn't know it happened last night in the fourth quarter. That doesn't always happen. So Maybe Cat's numbers in that sort of area aren't as big or as voluminous because because of the IQ of the players who are around him. But I, I think that there should be intention to leaning into Cat inside of the three point arc, something too. Yeah, and I mean, again, this isn't most advanced stat in the world, but I mean, he is averaging twice as many threes. Yeah this year as he ever has before almost exactly twice as many and i mean and cool and, and he's making and he's more of great. them so good I mean, that's a, good he's a i oh i hate this word but he's you know he's a unicorn in terms of that <laughs> skill for sure but i still think and you watch these games like a, a, a run buster in terms of a team goes on a six eight ten nothing run is just getting towns something within eight feet i mean because he just yeah. he's so good he's so good at that little right hand hook and he's just unstoppable now again to your point Ryan and Gersas don't want to run 30 post-ups of towns, but I think just having that flexibility of like, okay, we need we need two points right here. We have to run one of these set plays to just get Carl yep. switched. So so last year, um, Carl was averaging 6.8 post-ups per game. That was 30% of his offensive meal. This year, that was third and third amongst all, all players in the league, post-ups per game. He's that's cut down from 6.8 to 4.3 this year, 18% of his offensive usage and which is still sixth in volume in the league because you know not a lot of guys post up in the league what i think is interesting right normally when you do something less you're taking it in more efficient situations well his efficiency has really dropped in post-ups this year and that leads me to question why like shouldn't those just now if we're cutting out two and a half of them a game Shouldn't those just be your best four post-ups of the game? Shouldn't the number increase? And I wonder if it's like they haven't quite struck the balance of like, 
maybe you just got to be a little bit higher. You know, that kind of yeah. that, like the parabola, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think they're, I don't think they're the right spot there. And I don't know, maybe the sample isn't big enough. You know, it was 1.02 points per possession in post-ups last year, and it's 0.92 this year, which doesn't sound like that much, but if you kind of like pull up an actual chart, it, right. it is. Um, and it's been repurposed into the pick and roll where he, you know, he's, he's good, but it's had the, it's had the opposite effect there where Carl is the role man in pick and roll. He's doing more of them is 1.02 points per possession. Last year he was doing less and it was 1.19. That's a big difference there too. So I don't know. I, I think it's, a, it's, to me, it's like the quintessential example of the system not being befitting to you know this team right which i i get big picture but i do think that's an important data point that when they're reassessing the system going into next year they got to look at that and say what was our what was our volume of cat post-ups versus pick and rolls like this do we feel good about those numbers and maybe we got to wait until until all 82 games are done to know that but as we're sitting here halfway through the season i'm kind of like i don't know i i think fire away from deep when you got it but there are times where it's a little forced. Maybe those times we can we can work to be a little bit more patient to, to looking inside. So that's where, that's where I kind of stand with it offensively. And then I think if they find that parabola point, then he starts benefiting the offense as a whole. That's and and then he does actually feel like the first best offensive center league. That that's where I'm at with it. No, I agree. I, I totally agree, and that's why. What you what did you say? Well, I was gonna say let's just let's move on to. Um, should we do Wiggins or Covington? Let's do Wiggins. Let's do Wiggins. Your boy. Um, 22.4 points per game, five, or 22.4 points per game this year is up. Do you remember what he averaged last year? Just guess. Well, that's you got it in front of you? That's cheating because I have it in front of me. Ah. But I, I would have guessed under 20. Yeah, it's I don't, it's more than, and his minutes per game are about the same. So it's whatever, the, 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 the minutes played isn't affecting this. 18.1 last year up to 22.4 uh, this year. He's, he's shooting, um, like one and a half percent worse from three, but six percent better from two. It's pretty, you know, a pretty meaningful difference. I think that's where you know that's that's coming from. He, you know, the the distribution has gone away a little bit, or or no, has increased, or it's it's increased from last year, gone away a little bit in the the past month. But he only averaged two and a half assists last year, three point seven this year. It's, that seems somewhat meaningful. Rebounds have stayed about the same. I think that's continues to be an underwhelming, you know, part of his game. All the efficiency numbers um, are better, but that's just because like his true shooting itself was like the same as Kevin Knox last year. Uh, I, I don't think in a offensive vacuum he's been you know very impressive in that way. And the and the, the the most concerning thing to me is he doesn't get to the free throw line. Yeah, and that's that's the biggest one. I, w- you would you would agree though that he's having statistics. Would you agree statistically that he's having his best season? Yes. Okay. Because I was going to say, I always like to do this thing where it's like if you came, woke up out of a coma and you just woke up on basketballreference.com, you're like, wow, like look at his his assists are up, his points are up, his three-point attempts are up. Like, these Well, pers- it's because he's playing a more efficient style. Right. Like I think right. he was playing better. I think he was playing better basketball his second year in the league with Sam Mitchell. Like in, in he was more engaged. He was more electric. There was more of a fire there. But I don't know if you listened to the last podcast. I was, I was talking to Charlie about the, the highlight thing. Yeah. And he was just, you know, his his engagement and a- attacking the rim, it, it stands out there a lot too. But what also stands out is he's catching the ball like 17 feet. Right. Not like 27 like he is now. So I think he's having the best 
season of his career because of the way, you know, how the chessboard has been rearranged. Like, that's just going to help him. And that's why pivoting for a sec, going back to just the eternal optimist that I am, like, I think despite how... I think it's fair to say, and you'll agree with me, the season has been underwhelming and less than what we expected. That's probably due to, one, Towns' injury, and two, whatever the plague was that went through that team. Because <laughs> everyone got sick. Sure. Um, so when I bet the over, or, like, I thought that this team would be healthy and they would be really aggressive, and, like, we even see it now. Like, they're probably not making the playoffs, but they're still trying to win games. I mean, that's, like, the other night you had tweeted this, but, like, that's probably why they played Alan Crabb over Jarrett Culver to close the game. That was interesting, Because right? it looked like they were trying to win versus overdevelopment, which I don't know if I even agree with the player, but but they're trying to win the game. But with Wiggins, I think you can at least hang your hat on, even though 98% of fans are just so over him, is that he's showing progress, and it's going to be meaningful this summer. Like, I mean, I just think of it in a vacuum. Like, if he would have come out and been worse this year, I mean, he would have just there, – there's no way you would have unloaded mm-hmm. him if that's what they decide to do. Yeah. But at least he's shown him and Gorgie, like – They've shown that they can adapt to modern basketball, and they have shown some. I guess my it's, point it's, is this: Rambo's their value is, I think, on the Kool Aid, slightly well, I, increased. That's not even that's not even a Kool Aid take. That's like, of course, Andrew Wiggins and Gorgie Jang's trade value has increased this year, which is like to me one of the two biggest storylines. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 now it's weird to kind of think about like, how many wins is that worth? Like, would we rather? Would you rather have that, or like five more wins over the course of the year? Right, and again, this I, is, I mean, I don't know. That it depends on your your slant, but like, you can certainly make an argument that like, well, wait, now we can, we can get off of Gorgie for a cheaper price if superstar not named D'Angelo Russell X becomes made available. Like that, that matters. Or, or if you want needing to rearrange the chessboard again in the cap sheet. By getting off of Wiggins, if you can do that because the contract is less onerous, that matters a lot too. Probably to me at least, more than a couple wins this year. Even though you know, I'm I'm of this this I'm I live in a much more micro like blinders on why aren't you winning this basketball game? Like it frustrates me when I see them doing things that I think like actively hurt their odds of winning the game. But I think sometimes sitting here not watching the game, you can take that off and be like, this stuff mattered too. Where they've improved the macro picture, at least in the sense of how, as it connects to Andrew Wiggins and Gorgie Jing, which, as we know, was a big point of contention around the league and in perception of his team. His team's in salary cap hell. Wiggins has got four years left. Jang's got two years left. You're screwed. I don't know. It, they're still kind of screwed, but, but right. less so. But, I mean, also, too, like, you're right. I'm wrong. But, like, if you're a competitive person at heart, you should be mad that they lost the game last night. You know what I mean? Like, you should be mad that they just came out flat against a bad Bulls team. But if it's you're both. But if you're an optimist like me and you've led the chart, I mean, you have been the first person on this one forever when we talked about trying to trade Wiggins last summer and being like, you know what? His value around the league isn't as maybe – bad as you you know you've talked to some people and it's not as you don't have to yeah. attach target center and nine picks yeah. to his contract <laughs> um but i think last night if tom thibodeau was still running the team i think you would have gotten 48 minutes of that first 24 you would have just gotten probably eight points three rebounds and two assists and you would have just been like bleep 
what are we going to do? So that's why I hang my hat on that second half performance is the progress where it was a cold, blustery Chicago night and an L. But I think in May and June and July, we'll be like, that was actually a plus more than it mm. was a negative because it was a loss. Hmm. It threw them worse in the standings. But the fact that, I mean, he did, because going back to that without rehashing it, he responded. Yeah. And that's the thing is that I think in past years, he just wouldn't respond. So I think that's right. the growth. And that's why when we were talking about letter grades and all this stuff, or kind of just looking at the first half of the season, I've been pretty optimistic about him. Sure. He still does a shitload of stuff that makes you frustrated. But he looks like he's trying to embrace these new things and finding more comfort um, doing them. I, I think I think that's spot on. And it's just where there's these two realities are going on. There's the now and the later. And like, I don't know. They, they, they both matter. And it, it, it depends on your personal philosophy which one is, is more meaningful. And that's, you know, that's to each their own, your, your own subjective belief. What we know is the one belief that matters is Gerson Rosas because he's pulling the strings. And pretty clearly, he's a little bit more concerned about the later. And um, I, I think we're seeing some good immediate things that should should connect to a better future for for Wiggins or for the Timberwolves as it's connected to Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I want to do the RPM things again. I'm I'm sure there's like some guy like pounding on his iPhone right now, being like RPM stupid. It's a flawed stat. I agree whatever i'm just using it's a catch-all metric to point at where he is right now 85 small forwards andrew wiggins in offensive rpm is 15th out of 85 and defensively is 80th out of 85 and overall an overall rpm 40th out of 85 which i also looked up is exactly the same as jake layman was last year <laughs> kind of weird um I don't feel like that's a good representation either. Like no. that, that's, I don't. So if you, if you kind of parse out, there's like a couple of like really low minute guys. Like if you, if you draw the line of small forwards who play more than 20 minutes a game, Wiggins is 10th among small forwards and offense. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And I've actually, this is the inverse of cat. But I think, I think Wiggins is like showed some pretty big strides. Are you talking about defensively? Like, oh, like a defensive stance, that thing we learned in YBL. Because I think like he finally, <laughs> I don't know if it's the new training staff, but he seems like his hips bend and like he gets yeah. down in a, a squat position, yeah. which is like breathtaking if you've watched him yeah, his whole hands career. Hands out of his pockets. Yeah, yeah it's not hand. Yeah. He literally just looked like waiting for a bus, <laughs> playing defense for a while, just standing kind of hands. For real. And now he gets down. So yeah, I'm with you again. And I mean, people would And argue- peripheral vision too, right? Like yeah. I, he seems to actually when he's on the opposite side of the floor like be actually very aware of what's going on over there where where the ball is and and i think like not just aware but like kind of good at that there was the the indiana back-to-back games i I thought i thought that was just like i i don't think the wolves played well in those games and i don't think they coached well in those games at all either because they just got blistered by the same pick and roll for a whole week but brogdon and sabonis but in the game in Minnesota, I thought Wiggins did a really because he isn't engaged. He's on the other opposite side of the floor, and and he, because he's like actually fast and wiry, did a pretty good job of like beginning to deter 
that pass into Sabonis. And what what happened was because of that, the Pacers changed where they were where they were running the pick and roll so that Wiggins was going to be further out of it. They moved to those side pick and rolls where it was like just Brogdon, like way over, basically like operating from the corner. So it was just him and Sabonis. Like I think Wiggins is like recognizing some of these things. And I don't know like how much it is David Vantapool is like actually like controlling the joysticks of him, probably to some degree, but it's actually happening of like, that was actually a smart defensive play. You, you, you were, your hands were out of your pockets and you did something smart defensively, which I think is an immense step forward for him defensively. And given his physical like structure, to me, that makes him way better than the sixth worst small forward at defenses. And this is so nerdy, but I know exactly what like play you're talking about. Right. And it wasn't to go to your David Vanderpool joystick analogy. It wasn't like a play out of a timeout yeah. or like a, a crunch time play. It was like middle of the game middle mm-hmm. of the flow which is builds to your point of he knew like it was wasn't thinking like, about it, it wasn't like we just got done talking to if they Vanderpool. do this i'm gonna do that yeah yeah yep. so it wasn't over time i was like hey this is gonna happen look for this this was five six possessions up and down yep fast break kind of style basketball where he's like okay i'm learning something here. i remember coach yep. said this this morning it wasn't two minutes ago he said it this Good morning and i'm doing it so yeah i think it's uh i i've been i've been i don't know if i've been more what I've been more encouraged by, because I do think like, I do think it's super meaningful offensively that he's changed the way he's playing offense, but I think he's changed the way he's playing offense more than he's improved how he's playing offense. But I think it potentially could lead to something good defensively. I'm just glad he's shown that he's awake the majority of the time, because that's a a pretty big progression from, from where he was at before. So I don't know. He, he seems like, he seems like the one where you're like, I have no idea how these last 37 games are going to go. Like, he could turn in something. He could turn in a whole bunch of different grades in the second half. Like, Cat, I feel like we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be. Like, Covington, I feel like we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be. Like, Jerick Culver, like, yeah, he's going to probably progress some. The jumper is probably going to suck all year. Like, Wiggins, you're like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's going to depend on him. Um, and it's going to depend on how he just grows as like a learner as it pertains to the offensive scheme and the defensive scheme. So he's, as he kind of always has been, like remains this enigma and simultaneously like one of the most important characters in the story. And as bad as he was in Chicago the other night and as hot as the takes were for just dumping, like literally putting him on a plane for Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Marvin Williams, um, (laughs) So I think one. I think he and this is going to people are going to lose their minds hearing this but I think he is one reason alone to watch this team the rest of the year because again going back to my Portland not bias but mindset David Vanterpool was a god out in Portland I mean he was being yeah, like lo- pu- public perception public perception he was yeah. a god with those players I mean they loved him he was a brother to all those players and his development skills are so I think David Vanterpool playing with the joysticks on a daily basis is the reason you're seeing these Wiggins assist totals start to be career highs. And again, I know we have joked about the triple double and how meaningless it might've been, but like that's growth. And like these next 31 games, if he throws a couple more of these Chicago first halves, reach out to me and let me know how wrong I am. But I really think you're going to see more of those second halves because I really do think David Vanderpool is a player development wizard Mm -hmm. and future head coach. And I think, 
he can connect with people. And I and I, you are so much more boots on the ground than I am. But but that's I, what I was gonna say. So Saturday when you're at the game covering the game, you got to make sure you go to Wiggins's warm up. Yeah, time yeah. Because yeah. Vanderpool is his like individual coach, and in the or I mean any any Timberwolves fan who has yeah. tickets to a game too, like you can show up early, yeah. and and watch it. And it is David Vanderpool knows how to relate with Andrew Wiggins. Right. And it's like a, a big brother is it's like an uncle, like his uncle that he like trusts that Wiggins He's, you can he tell seems trust. like millennial modern day Sam Mitchell in a sense that like <laughs> Sam always thought that he could relate to guys and he could, but through like a 1990s prism. Yeah. Whereas like David Vanderpool is like, I actually like mm-hmm. I, I, I was on Instagram before we got out here and I know how to work that and I know how to relate <laughs> to you and like getting to your spots and, and yeah. what your mentality is. So um, I think that for the record, I think that stuff's all real. And it like there, it's no coincidence that if Andrew Wiggins in the end of the year, turns in a better year like credit to ryan too because like that relationship's that relationship's real as we learned last night like they're for sure wiggins and ryan are for sure cool but like there's just like a more day-to-day as i understand it interaction between vanterpool and wiggins that's that's mattering and that's why i was just kind of circling back and wanted to drop vanterpool's name is because i think sometimes people will look at that basketball reference and see those stats and say career highs and things and just be like well it's this system and this six letter word that we drop all the time. But I also think it's like, there are some flaws in it. There's some weaknesses and some hollow parts, but I really do think that like the David Vanterpool player development school is also actually starting to show through. And uh, it's awesome. I think it is too. It's, I wish he could have like that connection to cat and like to cover out to everyone, you know, but you can only be an individual coach for like a few players. Um, But Wiggins was a good one, you know, to to make that assignment of, you know, of the best players on this team. Like Covington kind of, you know, knows who he is already. Like he he is what he is. And and Cat's a big guy. Like that's right. not uh Vanterpool's, you know, special. Not to not to say that Vanterpool, I mean Vanterpool's the associate head coach. He's definitely working with Cat, but Cat has a different, you know, individual guy, uh Kevin Hansen, who, you know, worked with A D for a, a long time in New Orleans. Like I don't know. That seems pretty smart. And then, <laughs> like, and then Greg Steamsma is out there who cat is his other, other guy on in practice. Exactly. Which is, but dude, Steamsma gets up and blocks some shots. Too. Oh, like, I love Steamsma. Still got, still got it. Uh, okay, last, last one because these are like the three guys. Is I hope this isn't true, but this, who knows, man? This could be one of the last podcasts where we're talking about Robert Compton as a Minnesota team. It could be. I mean, I. I don't know. That that's a, that's a whole separate sort of tangent that I don't I don't know yet. I think there it's certainly possible. I know that that Robert Covington could be traded. He is nowhere near as untouchable as Cat is and as untradeable as Wiggins is. And he's also 29 or 28. And that makes him less of a fit in you know in the scheme but as we're we're i mean he's the antithesis of d'angelo russell in that he's you know actually good at defense and we know that a cat wiggins core as long as that's the core needs a needs a defensive guy much more than it needs a um individual score i mean they need both but i i think it's we could pretty safely say that it's more impactful to to have a, an elite defender like Covington than it would be to have an elite offensive player. But, 
as you know, I, I mean, Britt and I have gone through written is like, you know, I, I have some questions of like, is it a perfect fit with Covington and cat in the front court? Like, yeah, like Covington's like 2k rating is 99 in defense. But like, once you mix that in with cats, like 46, like what, a, you know, how does that, you know, how does that, that totally mesh? Um, and, and I'm, for me, I'm, I'm still working through that. I don't, I don't really know, but at the end of the day, we want to go through like two player lineups and stuff and look at like all the defensive stats, not just defense or any, like any sort of rim defense, three point line defense, like the worst two player lineup obviously includes cat, but Covington's up there too. And I don't know. I mean, somebody could throw a sample size at me, but that's not nothing to me. Like that's not nothing. He's it. It hasn't been perfect. It has not been a perfect pairing. Robert Covington, power forward, Carl Anthony Town Center, and it's worth monitoring for as long as he is on on the Timberwolves. These are his stats. Before I let you talk about him, um, he's playing three less minutes per game than. Oh, actually, I did this. I did his uh, because last year he didn't really play. It was weird. Um, his 2019-20 stats versus his 2017-18 stats, which is last year, full year with the Sixers. His scoring is about the same, 13 points per game. He is playing three less minutes per game this year. Uh, he And in those three less minutes, he's rebounding more, which makes sense, right? He slid up to power forward. Uh, but he has about half as many as assists. I think, right, rebounds, assists, we can kind of attribute that to sliding up to, to the big man spot. He shot... Uh, 49% from two that last year in Philly. That's up to 57% this year. I think we've seen a lot more ability from him being able to attack the rim. And then his uh, his three-point numbers have stayed about the same uh, right at that 36 37% mark. What has, How have you taken in the Robert Covington power forward year? I pretty much agree with you on all. Like, I, I, I don't... I don't know long term, and again, we're talking about long term as if we are assuming he's going to still be here this summer, or even in two weeks. <laughs> but I think, first of all, I, to his credit, while you said a lot of important stats and powerful stats, he's been the one that's embraced Everything. this change more than anyone. When you could argue it's hurt him more like, than anyone. Yeah, I mean, he yep. was the one that's had to change the most. I mean, they've literally handled Towns and Wiggins again, as I've said before, with like kid gloves and like hey andrew here's the basketball and carl here's a lot of shots but with, or with roco it's like we're actually gonna have you guard a bunch of different dudes that are way bigger <laughs> than you and also i know you're coming off a really serious leg injury can you go get 10 rebounds a game so like, that's <laughs> but also and 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 you you saw this closer than probably anyone but like he obviously wasn't right when the season started he was still basketball shape just in general is something you have to really play yourself into but, um, I don't know if this is out out there anywhere yet, if it's been written. But he uh, he said he only this week when we were talking to him, he said he only played pickup twice all summer. Oh, interesting. That's, like that that kind of a lot less like, than I played. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean again, like he he and I, I have a direction I'm going with this, but like he has played himself into such basketball shape and everything. But like going back to the Chicago game for the 36th time. He was the reason I didn't turn league pass off at half. I know it was only a nine-point game, but the first half was so not enjoyable to watch. But I think there's just so many. So you off- wa- you watched the second half of the Wolves game over Zion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, okay. yeah. All right, go. Continue. Did you know Zion's fat? <laughs> anyway, um, Robert Covington's def- Robert Covington's defense 
I just think there's so many guys that can score. Like, there's so many offensive yeah. guys. It's a scoring league. Guys jack threes all over every team. Ro- what Robert Covington does is, like, I don't think I'm a defensive wizard, but, like, I, I, it's the most relatable thing. Like, he just tries. Like, he just – the game t- – like, when you watch a Jarrett Culver, it's like the game is going – in podcast lingo at like 1.5 speed <laughs> where it's like with Robert Covington, the game is going at like 0.5 speed. Like he is just, everything is so slow to that. I like dude that analogy that his hand, I mean, he just watching him deflect balls is worth it for me. Like it's mm-hmm. worth the league pass. So I think, as I just said, he's embraced the change more than anyone. He gets your highest grade. I think he's coming off a serious injury and he's also the one that kind of risk the most i mean like he had the most to lose i i think that's an underplayed point that like yeah i mean you were pretty dang good at playing small forward and like defending wings and now we're sliding you into like a a harder spot right that like didn't wasn't totally at least defensively wasn't about his skill set i guess offensively you know he's a stretch big so he can like do that but he's also then been asked to take so many like bad threes that he's still been able to shoot like 37 percent from three i know i always think like if this was the nfl like he would be the guy if i was his agent that i would just be like hold out like hold out and like <laughs> ask for way more money because he is and this goes back to his trade value and stuff yeah. but this is why he is such a. this is why he's in every lazy article online is because he is on a bad team that doesn't people don't know from the outside if they have a plan or a future. He's a defensive. I mean, he's all all defense if he's on a semi contender, and he's. I think he can almost. You can make a case for him even on this team all right, defense. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't think he will get it, but go ahead. Well, I was, and I guess my my last point on that, and I think I said this I said this like a week ago, so it's got to be updated. But him and him and Towns now have been teammates technically for two years. The the Rocco trade happened like what January of twenty nineteen. Yeah. They've played forty-seven games together, which wow. is just something to think about. I mean, like, and only had, and only twenty-five under Ryan, right? So I mean, twenty-two. Yeah. And if you go back and look at the record, I think it's about five hundred. You could like, I, as I love to take stats and make them so they fit my narrative. But like, you could pull like a seven-game losing streak, and they were like twenty-three and sixteen. Um, they've lost the last eleven games they've played together, right? So <laughs> I just ignore that from Dane. But the, I think it's really important to be like they have literally played. A half season of basketball together That's, under I had two new coaches. Um, so when you're trying to float these ideas out, and I, I get it, I understand why you want to talk about trading him because he is such a good asset, and what can you get back? But if this, if and this is a whole other tangent on timelines and all stuff, but if you think you're ever going to win, I don't. I, you, you need Robert Covington's guys that will that are facing the most risk yeah. and the lowest reward and are making you know, a third of what Towns or Wiggins are making and stuff that are just embrace it. Like he yeah. is, and I'm not in the, and I'm excited to go in on Saturday and just kind of peek around, but like with Teague out now, and that's a whole nother thing. Robert Covington is like him and Gorgie are those two adults. Like those yeah. are the adults on the team. And I don't think when everyone gets so caught up with age, as if this is all one big dynasty draft that his age, like Robert Covington could be doing this when he's 33. Like what, what part of Robert Covington's game isn't going to, Eight. I mean, the the only I mean the only pushback is the the bone bruise last year, right? But I mean, but I, I I agree. I'm agree. I'm just I'm sure that's what somebody's thinking right now as they hear that. Like, cause how old, like Andre Iguodala is thirty five. Yeah, you know what I mean. And like, granted, now he's taken a semester at sea with the Grizzlies, but like he he was still yeah. defending at that level at thirty three, like uh, NBA I, Finals level. I absolutely think 
Covington will be doing that when he's 33. So that's my point is that going back to another thing we want to talk about, like just trades and all that stuff. Like, I don't think he was almost as untouchable as Towns just because what are you going to get back for him? And then you're going to have See, this gaping but Kyle, hole. I think what the question becomes is, all right, he's 30. He's 30 when the contract ends. Like, so then, so then what do you pay his next, that next contract is going to be tricky, right? Because now he's going to be demanding, obviously, a raise off of what this is. And you're signing him to like a four-year deal. Like, I love Robert Covington, the basketball player. But a lot of the reason I like Robert Covington is that he makes $11 million a year. Yeah, true. And that he's 27. Like, when he's 31 on the first year of his new deal, which the Wolves would need to resign him to because they're probably not going to be good until then, like actually good until then. That just that is that's a variable in it because yeah. if it's if it's twenty four million, if it's twenty four million in cat and you got cat already making whatever he'll be making like thirty four that it's just we know we know that cat and Covington isn't enough right right or so at some point they're gonna have to pick and choose. I think you and I, I think pretty much everybody who who covers the wolves is like I think it's generally speaking a good idea to keep Covington. But we also got to acknowledge that there's a very logical path to trading him that leads to a better future from just like if we're, if we're concerned about wins and losses. Right. And I think that's where, that's where I made that emphasis on those 47 games they've played is because as long as Covington stays healthy, and he's been relatively healthy. I mean, that, that last year injury was pretty not rare, but I mean, it wasn't like he was having multiple of those. But... um. I just, I mean, I, Robert Covington is still going to be the hottest asset in 2021 on the deadline. You know what I mean? Like, next, uh, uh, simulate a year to now if the Wolves are in the same right. position. Because they'll still have another year. They'll after. still have another year after that. So it's not like, you know, he won't be a free agent yet. So, I mean, I don't understand other than just hating losing and wanting to start no. figuring this. No, you're right. It's like, I, you only trade him now if you're getting like a dollar fifty piece. back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, Use the D'Angelo Russell example. D'Angelo Russell, if I thought D'Angelo Russell was a good idea. That's the only deal I'm trading him in. Like, if you're just trying to get a pot back of assets that could then maybe eventually be turned into D'Angelo Russell, well, then I'm like, let's just wait a year and and see how things play out and and then trade it for the pot of gold at next deadline. And I mean, this, is a, this is the... Family Guy analogy of the boat versus the mystery box. You know, like you have the boat, yeah. Or do you want the mystery box? Could be a boat. It could be a boat. <laughs> so with the assets, it's like yeah. we get all these assets, and maybe we could get another Robert Covington. It's like, how about? Hear me out. We keep Robert Covington that we have, and we just try to work around it. But, but when you lose eleven in a row, and then you get your guy back, and then you lose those, you know, next seven or whatever. Um, these are logical conversations that you and me and Rosas and everyone has to have. But um, I just think I think that 47 game number is important. I think it's important to say, yep. can we 47 games under two head coaches? Can we see what these guys are like over just even 80? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just like one full season. And like you said, too, just I would like to see Robert Covington here at training camp in 2020 because I want to see them have one full year. Yep. God forbid health and see what they can do. Because I do think, even though I don't love his fit at power forward, going back to your topic on that, I think he not only gets along with Towns, but I think he does a lot of things. Yeah, I wouldn't underrate that, that at all. That just clean up so many messes for this team. 
I want I do want to rattle off those uh, RPM numbers for him. This is this is nineteen twenty this year and seventeen eighteen is last year in Philly. He's eleventh um, among ninety eight power forwards this year. That year, which seventeen eighteen, that's when he made all defense. He was ninth, and he was also listed as a power forward that year in RPM. Oh, weird. I don't know why. Um, that was offense. So eleventh this year was ninth in offense that year. In defensive RPM, though, that year, he, in defense, he was one. This year, he's 27th. Maybe that's just all as simple as playing with Embiid rather than Cat. I don't know. Um, but statistically, he's regressed as a, as a defender. Overall, um, he's ninth among 98 power forwards this year in overall RPM, offense and defense together. That year, he was second overall, only behind Anthony Davis. That was probably a year that the numbers just like yeah connected together really well for him. Right. And if that's true, then this isn't like discouraging. Those numbers right. aren't aren't discouraging at all. Like he I agree. He it's been the it is I still think he's on a progression back from that from that knee and just whether it's comfort or actual like mechanical um fit. And I, I do think it's going to physically he's he's going to get even better over time. And it, it just might be one of those things where he's not a hundred percent, like a hundred percent of what he was before until March. And I mean, that's kind of optimistic. Maybe, maybe he already is. I guess. I don't know for sure. I think it could, I think, I think there's more up for Covington before any sort of age decline comes in. Well, I think you've written about this too, but like he takes a lot of contested threes, Terrible, yeah. like, like <laughs> shots that like look like moon shots just because, He's contested by a power forward or like a really long, gangly small forward. Like, that's my whole point about this number 47. Like, if you could just give them a summer to like mm-hmm. add a couple more guys that can just space the floor. Like, can you imagine if Robert Covington's just shooting open threes and playing at this all defensive yep. level? Like his his well, value. There's that- other offensive pieces that like clean. I, I I literally think about this every time I watch the Rockets. Where I'm like, PJ Tucker literally just sits there and shoots the same three every time, and most of the time it's wide open. Like, what if that was Robert Covington's role in the Rockets? Oh. He would just... They're not interested he, in him, though. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean. Like, yeah. it, I just... If if you... If he... If you think he's, like, he was at the start of the season at 50%, and now he's at, like, 85, 90, but there's mm-hmm. still 10% of health and confidence in his knees... I believe there is. Um, The defense is just always going to be there. That's his calling card. Mm-hmm. But if you could just get him one more summer, one more training yeah. camp, and you think he's valuable now, and he's the guy on all the trade articles... He will be next year, yeah. He's going to be That's there next point. year. And he's still going to be signed. He's going to be under control. And he's going to be even hotter commodity when you think maybe, like, the league's even more competitive. Like, the Warriors are back. Some of these teams are trying to make moves. Right. So, I think I think we have plenty of reason to be concerned with him where he's going. Um, any Anybody else, just a quick thought on the roster you have, like, that you wanted to, to get out here? I think we've been going for a while. Yeah, I mean, just rattle through them. Like, KBD, Jordan Bell, uh... Gorgie just deserves like just a quick mention, like A minus. I know he's yeah. one of your friends, but just like, A minus. Um <laughs> Akogi's been kind of disappointing. I, I'm a big Shabazz Napier fan. Got to watch him out in Portland a lot. I think he fit I like him long term. It's just a piece. I don't know what he'll make this summer, but mm-hmm. I just he seems like a leader. He seems like he has some of that Chris Paul floor general in him, which I just enjoy because that's one thing that Point Wiggins has zero. Like on his NBA two K. Yeah. If there was a floor general stat, it hits zero. It just yeah, says that he's not sure. he's not dribbling with his left hand and pointing guys out. He's just like, okay, I'm setting up this offense for myself, and then I might kick to you. But um, 
I think the other guy that's really worth mentioning is Jarrett Culver, just because yeah. he's the he's the prize rookie. Um, and my two hot takes on him is that I think the trade for him was worth it. Uh, I don't know if people watch the Suns a lot now, but I mean, like Dario Saric doesn't play, doesn't play, um, doesn't play a lot. And the was it Cam Cam Johnson? Cam Johnson, yeah. Uh, not very good. I mean, he's just he's fine, but he's not good. He's I mean, the same age as. Kade Bates Diop. That's who the went to college for four years. Yeah. So that's shout out How to the, even possible? the Suns have a plan, obviously. <laughs> but but I mean, so you know, you watch games and like, yeah, Tyler Hero will drop seven threes or Kobe White. Sure. Um and I, I think, you know, I just I just go back to my last kind of take on that is that I think they gave up zero assets in my mind. Cause I don't I didn't like Sarich long term. I didn't think you want to pay him. I still think he's gonna get paid, even though he's not playing. Sure. Um I think they took a risk and they got a guy who is super intriguing because not to toot your own horn again, but like you were the first guy I remember talking about. There might be a cultural like transition between this Lubbock, Texas kid who had never seen snow, never been in a big city, never been under the bright lights. And I think you saw that like in October through December, like it was, this looked like a kid who was 20 who I, I mean, just things like twenty. He can't drink. He. He's I'm just a- telling you, man. I've so I've had some some conversations, and I think like now that that was a thing. Yeah, that I, that was like I don't think that that's- was actually happening. And as a as a person, he is. I think he, I mean he's still shy, and and there there's there's stages to go. But there was there was a lot going on as far as like fear if i'm having a bad moment i watch on youtube him dunking on robin lopez because that was such a big moment because if you if you think and now you just confirmed that it was a real thing him just posterizing someone and then chirping at him saying i this is i'm like that this is me that's massive now he's a rookie so you're not going to follow that up with 22 8 and 6 you mean like you're going to have those but if you go look at Kobe White, or you look at Tyler Hero, I think are the two other kind of guys that Wolves fans regret. Sure. I mean, there's other some other good rookies. The class hasn't been that good, but those are the guys we look at. Tyler Hero will have a 26-minute four-point game. And it doesn't just become a bad pick if one guy below him is better than him. Right, right. right? Like, there's yeah. a, I mean, that's the thing, too, is I love really draft re- revisionist history, and I <laughs> love just going back and, like, mentally texting my dad or my friends like how would you redraft this right and there's a lot of guys that drafted after 11 who were really bad and like they haven't shown a single thing but i think the move up to get culver was good i think he's gone through his kind of freshman year of college figuring himself out a little bit he's still going to put up some duds all of your videos of pregame that you, that you tweet out about his his he doesn't have the same jumper as the video you tweeted on yeah. october 20th like his jumper is starting to turn that elbow in a little bit but um yeah, I would like to say something on that. Everyone, and I'm seeing people like writing this too, where people are saying they're going to wait until the summer to rework his jump shot. That's not true. He has reworked his jump shot this year. It, it's it's happened. It's happened along the way. Go go back and go back on YouTube and watch Jared Culver's jump shot at Texas Tech last year. It's it is different. And you're right. I go go then go to my Twitter and, and watch. Watch him, watch him shooting shots now. It, it, that's already happened. So maybe there, there'll be added tweaks in the summer too. But they're not right now just saying, yeah, that, that flared out elbow and how you change your whole body every single time, do that. Like, we'll work on that this summer. No, like change is already 
Change has already started to happen there. And people, I want to say, people always cite the Robin Lopez dunk as as the the shift for him. But I think it was actually two games before that, where it was the Brooklyn game where they won at targets and went to overtime. So Culver, there's one minute and 25 seconds left in that game. Culver comes to the free throw line, and the Wolves are down by five, which that's just about, I don't know how to spell a loss better than that. Like uh, well, Culver's That's the title of my podcast, yeah. <laughs> Wolves are down five. <laughs> Culver, I mean, and we're like literally like on Meteor Row, we're like, oh, God, yeah. Like he's shooting like 40% from the free throw line. And Culver hits both of those free throws. And the Wolves end up sending the Nets to overtime. He has, he has two big buckets in overtime, and they win that game. Then another then another game happens, and then the dunk in Milwaukee happens. And after all of that, his last 12 games, actually this is not including the Chicago game last night, but his minutes per game is 32 minutes per game, 15 points per game, five rebounds per game, two assists, 34% from three, and 51% from two, with a team best plus minus of plus 34. Well, and to and to even build on your point about how his confidence level coming into the league as a rookie, I think we sometimes already overlook the fact that the draft night was so weird because of those stupid rules where you can't announce stuff. Yeah. So Jerry Culver was a lottery pick that wasn't even announced by the team he was drafted, couldn't play in summer league at all, was almost like this like mistress that the Wolves had to hide all summer because they couldn't really announce it until the new league rules. So, I mean, there was all of this stuff for a kid that already was like going through a massive life transition and mm-hmm. And trying to build up his confidence. And I think going forward in a season that is lost and in a season that we're looking forward, the 2020 draft class is terrible. Um, but I think he is the number one reason to watch going forward because I think he has, he might not be the shooter that Tyler Hero is and he might not be as fast as Kobe White is. But I think in today's modern basketball, he is still the pick. Like he is still the guy because he can defend, he can play make. And I think that the free throw thing just needs a DeAndre Jordan spice of yeah. tell a joke at the free throw line. I mean, because I right. you look at how he it's shoots threes. Yeah. He just he wants to shoot threes. Like if the plays playcock's running down or the, the set's broken. Yeah, they're, he, they're both bad, but they're different issues. But he wants to shoot that three at the free throw line when 13,000 people are staring at you and it's quiet. I think it's just mental. And I think if you can just get him to break that and get to, I mean, even 65, 70%, just doesn't have to be Steph, but... Just getting to that, he is going to be a obviously he's a really important part going forward. But I think his development in the last six weeks is if you just extrapolate that out, that's the reason I would want to watch these games going forward. Because if he can continue to show that, I think he's a steal. I I think I think that's a good positive note to end on. Cool. Kyle writes for Canisupus.com, who has been the most committed Timberwolves blog to covering this team since. For David Kahn. Um, you guys have daily content there that these listeners um, should be checking out. You're also, as you've alluded to, a frequent positive tweeter, optimistic tweeter yeah, yeah. on Twitter. Kyle Tige, uh, you can see, I'll, I'll plug out the, the podcast on here, but find, find him there. Uh, give him a follow and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime once... Maybe I'll come yeah. out to play. We've talked about this. Maybe I got a. I got a guest room. We can set up a studio. <laughs> it's not as nice as this one, but we can make it work. So we will. I, I appreciate you coming and doing this. We'll hang out this weekend at um, the Rockets and the Thunder game. It, I like. I like your point of the extension. I hadn't thought of that. Like, if they shit the bed in the first half against the Rockets, 
If you don't want to go out this month, this weekend in a cold, the least you should do is DVR the first 12 minutes of Rockets Wolves tomorrow night. Because like that'll that. tell you a lot of what Dane and everyone was talking about Wednesday night in Chicago. Was any of that meaningful? Right. He's Kyle. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. We'll be back next Monday uh, with Britt. Until then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.